0: Good morning, Grecians. I trust you had a powerful time of worship this morning, declaring the basic doctrines of our Christian faith. Indeed, it is so important to know the truth and to believe it with all our hearts. And you will learn more about this in today's message, and I'm so excited to bring you God's Word this morning. And something that struck me recently was the great amount of preparation that goes into every sermon you hear in Grace Assembly. I'm not sure if you realized it. You see one preacher here on the screen, but did you know that an entire team of pastors have done hours and hours of work behind the scenes to bring you God's Word? So it's not just my work, but the culmination of a team of highly qualified and committed pastors' work you see here. So I think we should appreciate this team of pastors, don't you think? Especially those in the GDI team, our Grace Discipleship Institute, for their hard work just to make sure we expound the Word of God correctly. And not only that, the media team, consisting of at least three people controlling the cameras right now and doing the editing work, also put in hours of hard work. So let's appreciate them by typing in the chat right now, Thank you! Yes, let's honour our brothers and sisters who have been serving faithfully behind the scenes. And so right now, without further ado, let me begin today's message with a little story. You know, one of my favourite animals to visit in the zoo used to be the lion. Let me show you a picture I took at our Singapore Zoo in 2018. I've seen how majestic they look on TV and in movies. You know, how they hunt, how they command respect in the animal kingdom and how they strike fear in their enemies. These predators have enormous paws, fearsome teeth, and powerful jaws that can easily crush a skull. They may not be the largest animal in the wild, but they are revered as the king of the beasts. However, in recent years, each time I visit them in the zoo, I always walk away deeply disappointed. When I see them, I'm like, really? The lions are like that? You know, instead of the majestic ruler over the animal kingdom, all I see was a pitiful, lazy, tired, bored, even emasculated cat who is served food through a little door. It's not what I pictured lions to be at all. How I wish it would at least stand up, flex its muscles, look me in the eye and give me a mighty roar that shouts, I am the king of the beasts." But no. After years of living in confinement, it has probably lost its hunting instincts, its fearsome aura, and its identity as the ruler of the savannah. A lion that no longer believes it's a lion. So here's the point. I think many of us believers Have no idea what potential lies on the inside of us through the Spirit of God. Most of us do not fully understand nor exercise the kind of power, authority, status, and glory that lie latent within us. It is waiting to be unleashed as those who are made in the image of Yahweh and born of God. It is because we have been living in a cage domesticated by the worldly system. And sadly, many are Christians who no longer believe they are Christians. As the Bible defines us, we, like the lions, may not be the largest creatures, but God has placed something awesome inside us that gives us the authority to rule. We were tasked to subdue the earth and have dominion in the world. So today, we will learn the truth about who we are in Christ how someone who believes that Jesus is the Son of God experiences a new life within and hence is able to live victoriously. And it has everything to do with your identity. You need to hear this word that God has for you so your spiritual eyes will be open, and you learn how to get out of that cage and unleash all that God has placed inside you to show the world who God is. Amen? If you agree with that, why don't you type Amen in the chat right now? Hallelujah! And so, let's read today's passage together. It's taken from 1 John chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. And this is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands. And His commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Now, this first part of the passage talks about the characteristics of one who is born of God, right? He says, you will love God, love the children of God, keep His commands, and you will be an overcomer. But to be born of God, you need to believe that Jesus is the Son of God. And verses 6 to 12 are simply to convince or to prove to the readers that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Son of God. And it answers the question, Are you sure that Jesus is the Son of God in human flesh? So let's read together verses 6 to 12. Verse 6 says, This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood and the three are in agreement. Verse 9 says, We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which He has given about His Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about His Son. Verse 11 And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Verse 12, Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so this is the ninth part of the Love Incorporated sermon series entitled Love Overcomes. I love this title and the big idea for today's message is the life we have in christ enables us to love and to overcome the passage begins with a powerful statement it says everyone who believes that jesus is the christ is born of god and it ends with god has given us eternal life and this life is in his son whoever has the son has life whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. And so whatever John says in between is based on the concept of being born of God resulting in eternal life. And so the first point is be born of God. This forms the basis of everything in this passage. The lion is born of lions and we are to be born of God. Where we inherit the DNA of God, and hence reflect the glory of God. So how to be born of God? How do we get this eternal life? As stated in verse 1, it is by believing the truth that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And why was John so concerned about this? You know, as you may have heard throughout this series, it's because of the heresies, and false teachings that were going around. These heretics couldn't believe that God could take on human flesh. So Jesus couldn't have been the Son of God. They believed that the heavenly Christ descended upon Jesus at His baptism, but withdrew from Him before His death, so that it was only the earthly Jesus who died and not the heavenly Christ. However, If that was the case, he couldn't be the Messiah to save the world from sin. John then presents three witnesses or testimonies to the truth that Jesus was the Son of God in human flesh. What are the three? Water, blood, and spirit. So how did this prove that Jesus was the Son of God? Now, there is some controversy about these verses. But most scholars believe that John referred to the water and blood as the terminal points of Jesus' earthly ministry. Just to say that from the beginning to the end, He was the Son of God in human flesh. It's not just referring to the events themselves, but to everything in between those two events. So what does the water symbolize? The water actually refers to baptism. In Matthew 3:16 to 17, when Jesus was baptized, God spoke from heaven to affirm Jesus as his beloved son. The second testimony, the blood, it refers to the crucifixion, which marked the end of Jesus' earthly ministry. Matthew 27, verse 51 to 54 records that at Jesus' crucifixion, the earth shook, the rocks split, tombs broke open and the curtain was torn in two. And it was also stated that Jesus rose from the dead. Now, these dramatic signs from heaven proved Jesus' divinity. It wouldn't happen to any human being. And even Jesus' executors exclaimed at one point, surely He was the Son of God. And now we come to the third testimony, it's the Spirit. John 15, 26 says, When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. Now, the Spirit testifies to us in our hearts that Jesus is the Son of God. And so, with all these evidences, the affirmation from God Himself, we must believe that Jesus is the Son of God that has come in the flesh, or else we make God to be a liar. So John concludes that when we believe this truth, we indeed have eternal life. And so all of these terms are closely linked. Born of God, born again, new birth, eternal life. These are all closely linked. And being in Christ, remember we read earlier about life in His Son, right? Being in Christ refers to the identity or the life that is the result of being born of God. So, be born of God. Hallelujah. And so now we come to the second main point of the message. And it is this, in Christ, we are able to love God. And the second part of verse 1 says, Everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out His commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep His commands, and His commands are not burdensome. So here, John is saying that anyone who is born of God loves God, loves His people, and keeps His commands. When we are born of God, we are given a new identity, new life, and a new heart. While we used to love the things of this world, now we are inclined to love God. Previously, we were self-centered and only concerned for our own well-being. Now, we are able to love the children of God. Before, we just did whatever we wanted in our own way. Now, we keep God's commands. It's like our appetite has changed. We are now programmed differently than before. Previously, we were absolutely powerless to love God and obey Him. Now, we have it within us to do all that. That is who we are. But the question is, why do we find it so hard to do? Why is it so burdensome? Well, for John, he says that his commands are not burdensome. How can it be? Did John not find it difficult to love God and to obey Him? So, please remember and understand that life was not easy on John at all. John the Apostle was one of the leaders in the early church and he was intensely persecuted for that. He was eventually imprisoned and then exiled to the island of Patmos. So Patmos is not a holiday resort on a luxury island. All right? It was a small, rocky and barren area where many criminals of Rome were sent to serve out their prison terms in harsh conditions. And here he was, saying that keeping God's commands are not burdensome? How can it be? So the answer is not stated explicitly in this passage because John here was simply helping the believers to see the characteristics of their new identity. He did not spell out how do we live up to it. But we get a clue from his background, from the background of John the Apostle himself. What shaped his life that enabled him to say that it was not burdensome? There is one very unique characteristic of John that differentiates him from all the other apostles. Have you noticed how he frequently referred to himself as the Beloved? Or the disciple whom Jesus loved in the fourth gospel? He also records himself as the one who leaned on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper. You know, no other gospel records it like that. It was like he saw himself as Jesus' favourite, the beloved of Jesus. Um, You might think, is he narcissistic? Does he think too highly of himself? I don't think so. Because in the time that John spent with Jesus, he saw and experienced pure love, flowing from his master's life. And he was so captivated by it. You know, agape love so overwhelmed him and defined him that deep in his mind, he's thinking, oh, I'm the beloved of Jesus. Jesus' love defined him, not his circumstances or his achievements. So let me ask you, which do you think are the two New Testament books where the word love occurs the most. And by the word love, I mean agape, the Greek word agape. I want to give you five seconds to type in the chat right now. All right. Which are the two New Testament books that you think the word love, agape love, occurs the most? Well, I'm going to give you the answer right now. And yes, it is the book of John. The Gospel of John, it occurs 37 times. More than double that in any other New Testament book. And second in place is the book of 1 John. And it occurs 28 times. So, John talks about God's love more than any other New Testament writer. Don't you think that that says a lot? He was radically transformed by that love. And I suggest to you that the only way His commands can not be burdensome is if we are also transformed, we are captivated by that love. And that is how we get out of the cage that prevents us from living out our true identity. So don't miss this point. Take time to receive God's love again regularly. Lean close to His heart. Wait on Him, seek Him, see how you are also God's beloved, because you are. Look at the cross, His sacrifice, His broken body, shed blood, and the sins of the world all laid upon Him. Think about what He has forgiven you for. Imagine your life without God. This year, you know, I enter my eighth year of full-time ministry. Wow, what an incredible and wonderful journey it has been. But the lowest points in my ministry were those times when I felt so inadequate. I felt like, God, I just cannot lead. I don't know how to lead my people. I felt like, you know, maybe I'm not such a gifted communicator like I see so many pastors are. Sometimes I didn't see much fruit in my mentoring efforts. And I was drained by needs all around I saw what a heavy responsibility it was to shepherd God's people and I really wanted to do it well. But in those moments when my weaknesses were exposed, ministry became such a burden. And I told God, God, maybe I'm not called to do this, you know. I want to obey you, but I just can't do it well. But I remember, on several occasions, the breakthrough came when God reminded me of this powerful truth. He said, You are not defined by your ministry performance. You are defined by my love for you. That is your identity. Wow, I realize that I am defined by Jesus' work on the cross, not my work. He clothes me with His robe of perfect righteousness. He delights in me, not what I can do for Him when I experienced God's delight and realized it was not because I can do ministry well, that gave me the strength to keep on serving Him and His people to the best of my abilities. Caring for the hurting, the needy, the broken, and pouring my life into the ministry was no longer a burden. That freed me to love God and pursue Him with all my heart. So, when you experience God's love in Christ, you will be able to love God with all your heart. And with that, I come to my third main point. And it is this In Christ, we are able to overcome. Read verse 4 and 5 together with me. It says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. So here, overcome means to conquer, to be victorious, to prevail, to subdue. And we see two tenses in the action of overcoming in just these two verses, two tenses. The first tense expresses something that has already been done, right? You read in verse 4, this is the victory that has overcome the world. Jesus has already conquered sin, death, and every evil in the world. Hallelujah. That victory forms the basis of how the believer overcomes. Jesus said in John sixteen thirty three, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Powerful declaration from our Lord Jesus. And the second tense, all right, the second phrase talks about a victory that overcomes the world. Present tense, okay? That word overcomes is in the present continuous tense. It literally says, who now is the one overcoming the world? So we are now in the process of overcoming the world and that victory is in effect presently, the now, the current. Romans 8.37 says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So this victory is being made a reality right now. And John here is emphasizing that our identity as people who have been born of God is one of an overcomer. So if you believe it, why don't you type it in the chat right now to declare it over your own life. Type, I am an overcomer. Hallelujah. Because it defines us. That is who we are. That is who you are. Overcomer because of how Christ has overcome the world. But you may ask, why do we not see it in every situation of our lives? You may ask, why do I feel you know, still so defeated? Let's look again at the context in which this was written to give us a clue about how to bring about that victory. Remember, John wrote this highly victorious statement in the context of severe persecution and hardship. And that is the work of the evil earthly system that is hostile to God. That is the work of the world. So in our context, The world may not persecute us in the same way, but there is sin, there is temptation, there is the flesh which are in opposition to God. In this world, you know, we struggle every day. We struggle to provide for our family, deal with difficult bosses, take care of elderly parents, bring our wayward children back to God, and the list goes on and on. And we feel defeated at times. Yet, John, even in hardship, confidently declares that we have a victory that has overcome all of this. So obviously, God is not promising a life free from all troubles. He's not. Notice that even after Jesus declared to the disciples that He has overcome the world in John 16, even after that, they went through severe hardship and unthinkable pain. So how can they be overcomers? Here is the beauty of it. Look at the book of Acts. It clearly spelt out that the disciples were filled with joy in spite of the persecution. Remember that? The love that the believers shed among themselves was deeply satisfying and sacrificial. They stood boldly before kings to testify about Jesus. They were no longer cowering in fear and doubt. There was something indomitable within them. They were fearless. They were uncompromising. Brothers and sisters, that is how the victorious life looks like. And that's what it means for you to overcome the world. And so I declare that deep in your spirit will be birthed an indomitable faith in Christ, unshakable hope in any storm, fearless in the perfect love of God. Hallelujah. Victory begins with the invisible, with what's on the inside, not in the circumstances. The disciples experienced tremendous victories, but it first started from the inside of them. And the Bible is full of instructions on how to cultivate that peace, that joy, that hope and faith. Study those passages, and God will teach you how you can be indomitable in Christ. And so to further illustrate this point, let me close with this remarkable story of how one of our Gratians experienced that new life in Christ and was able to overcome great challenges in raising her special needs child. Let's look at the video.
1: For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Life is full of struggles that sometimes threaten to inundate us. Without the love of Christ as a lens to look through, we often feel like we're drowning. Sheng Yan and her daughter are two Gracians who went through a journey of hope lost and love found. This is their story.
2: My name is He Sheng Yan. My daughter was diagnosed by the doctors to have um, autism when she was three years old. This was my first time hearing about autism, and I was at a complete loss. I didn't know how to raise her. During that season, my husband and I consoled ourselves and decided to take it a step at a time. Before I came to know Christ, as a mom, my heart was heavy daily. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't sleep. We kept the house bare as my daughter would throw things about. Our hearts were heavy and we were lost. We didn't know who to depend on for help. One day, a person happened to come to promote Wheatgrass as a health food to us. While at the door, she noticed my daughter's condition. She encouraged me to bring her to church. At that time, I decided to accept Christ as my Saviour. I started to take my daughter and son to church weekly. And it was in church that I learned how to pray and read the Bible. After knowing Jesus, there was a transformation. I no longer feel lost or helpless or lack direction. My confidence and only hope is found in our Lord Jesus. He helps me carry this burden. The Lord gave me this supernatural strength through His great love to raise my daughter. I have developed greater tolerance towards my daughter and it is a testimony that it is God's love that helps us overcome.
1: Up till today, Sheng Yen continues to draw her strength from God's love to overcome the difficulty of caring for her child. As she experiences the love of God daily, her love for her child and for others is constantly renewed. Who is the one who overcomes the world but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God?
0: What a beautiful illustration of how we can all overcome seemingly insurmountable challenges first by experiencing that victory within our hearts. On the outside, her daughter was still autistic and the challenges remained. But on the inside, ever since she accepted Jesus as her saviour and was born again, She now has hope in her heart. She is no longer at a loss or helpless. She feels God guiding her and carrying her burdens. God's love gave her the strength to overcome. Hallelujah. It's like the lion within her is released from the cage and the Spirit of God enabled her to give a mighty roar of victory. The Spirit of God can enable you to do that too. So, To recap, the life we have in Christ enables us to love and to overcome. It is absolutely critical for us to be born of God. That brings us into a right relationship with God and gives us that new identity in Christ. So if you are not sure whether you are born of God, if you have not expressed faith in Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, I want to invite you to pray with me. Right now, you can enter a personal relationship with God himself and be born again, born of God. You need your sins forgiven. You need freedom from your sins and you need to surrender your life to Jesus. So if that is you and you want that, repeat this prayer after me from your heart. All right, let's close our eyes and you repeat after me. Say, dear God, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that you sent Jesus to die for my sins on the cross. Please forgive me of all my sins. I know I can't save myself. So I trust Christ to cleanse me and save me from my sins. I surrender my life wholly to Jesus. Thank you that I can be born again, that I can have eternal life. Now I am your child. Help me to follow Jesus closely all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, Amen, Amen. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to a Zoom chat with us after this service. The link will be posted in the chat box. But right now, I want to pray for another group of you. If you need to overcome a certain situation or difficulty in your life right now, I know there are some Christians like that. I want to pray for you. Understand who you are in Christ and unleash all that God has made you to be. God will strengthen you, stir up your faith, and fill you with joy and hope, give you an indomitable spirit, and then you just wait and see how the situation will change, how the breakthrough will come. Let's bow our heads and pray together. Lord, I praise you, for Jesus has overcome the world. Thank you that we we are born of God. We have all the potential within us to love you, to keep your commands, and to overcome. I declare that Gratians will get out of that cage and reign in life as you created us too. Father, I pray for those who need to overcome a situation or difficulty in their lives right now, whatever it may be. In Jesus' name, may you stir up their faith in the living God. Fill them with unspeakable joy and glorious hope. Give them an indomitable spirit that makes them unshakable. Hallelujah. I speak and release breakthroughs in every situation in Jesus' powerful name. And let all this be done for your glory, O God. We thank you for hearing our prayers in Jesus' name. And all God's people declare, Amen, Amen. Thank you, thank you so much for joining us today for our online service. If you have some questions about this message, feel free to come have a quick chat with me after this service in the Hello at Grace Zoom Room. The link will be found in the chat box in a few moments. Also, if you're new with us, you can join the Hello at Grace Zoom Room as well our pastors will want to get to know you. So let me give you the benediction. I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Amen and amen. Gratians, have a blessed Sunday and I'll see you next week.